Good evening, everyone. It is so good to be with you this evening. And sweet. I'm, my name's Ben, for those of you who haven't gathered that. Um, I'm on the, uh, the leadership team here. And this series, this term, uh, we are talking about being a disciple-making community. Lots, aren't we? And essentially, this term is about getting under the bonnet of Grace Church and looking at the values that, um, that make us who we are. So tonight we're looking at We Welcome, and uh, we'll be drilling down into what that means. But the reason why we do it is because what we mean when we say disciple-making community is we, uh, that vision means two things to us. Number one, we long to see people uh, coming to know Jesus for themselves and actually in, uh, joining in with us as a community. Number two... We want those people to actually grow in their depth of understanding and grow in their maturity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we want um, us to, to, um, to see people's lives transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. We want people to grow in their relationship with him. And ultimately, we want people to thrive on earth as well as in heaven. And everyone's got a part to play in it. God's got plans and purposes for every single one of you in the room tonight. So this week, the hallmark is we welcome. We've defined these on our website. And this is what we say about being a welcoming community. We all have a need to find a place where we belong. Through relationship, support, and hospitality, we make sure everyone knows they are welcome and valued in our diverse family. So today we're going to be looking at, number one, why we welcome. Part two of this talk is going to be actually, what are we welcoming people into? What on earth is Grace Church about? What are we trying to create here? And three, some ways that we can go about being more welcoming as a community. Okay, so we're going to start by looking at the why. And the, um, the verses that we're using, the passage that we're using tonight, is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, um, it's a really well-known passage, and Jesus uses parables lots. A parable is uh, a story essentially with a meaning uh, to emphasize a particular point. Okay, and this particular story could also be called the good father, shouldn't it? It's, it shows us the relationship between a father and his two sons, one of whom is a rebellious figure in the story, one of whom is kind of a religious figure and, um, and doesn't really have much joy, and his response is interesting. But as I read this really well-known passage, what I'd love you to do is think about what is the message that Jesus is trying to get across as he, as he uh, sh says this passage? Okay, so we're reading from Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, that's Jesus, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He's essentially saying, Father, I wish you were dead. And I want your inheritance now. So it's a fairly full-on start to the parable. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, 
the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But whilst, his father was still, whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bringing quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in a field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As I said, in asking for his inheritance in the beginning of the story, he, the son's saying to the dad, I wish you were dead, and you know, I want my money now. It sh this story shows what happens when someone rebels and does sins their own way. It highlights also what a good father actually looks like. He lavishes blessings on his rebellious son, and he also lavishes blessings on the righteous one or the religious one. And it's the same with us, isn't it? We heard it throughout our worship. Whilst we were still sinners, he welcomes us with open arms. In spite of the fact we don't deserve to be in relationship with him, uh, to be part of his family at all, what does he do? He lavishes love on us. He brings the best robe. He puts a ring in our, on our finger, a ring that shows who we belong to, where our identity is. He embraces us. He throws a party to celebrate. This is who our Father in heaven is. We've been welcomed into God's family. But if we're honest, is that actually the view that we have of our Father in heaven? Do you view 
your Father in heaven? Do you view God as someone with their arms out, ready to embrace you, ready to lavish grace on you? I think many of us actually, if we're honest, have a different view of who God is. In, uh, in the early noughties, I was uh, a student up in Liverpool, and I actually went to Liverpool. The main reason why I went to Liverpool um, to study was because at the time, in my view, it had the best nightclub. That was, that, was genuinely, that was genuinely my reason, which is a terrible reason. So, um, yeah, I don't think anyone would come to Nottingham for, for that. Um, but, uh, so I, I don't like to talk about this, but I was kind of a big deal in the DJ world <laughs> back in the day. Um, me and my mate Stu, who was from a similar area to me uh, in London, but he sounded more Cockney, so he was nicknamed Del Boy. Me and Del Boy, uh, we had a garage and breakbeat night, and it was called Lovely Jubbly, and uh, we, used to, uh, we used to DJ. It was pretty huge in Liverpool. Um, and when we weren't, when we weren't DJing, uh, we used to like to go out and have a dance and that. And uh, what would often happen is you go out with your friends and you go out for a quiet, uh, socialize, and you'd, you know, you get to about 11 o'clock and then you think, oh, maybe we should go uh, to a club. And so you look down, and in Liverpool at the time, you had to wear black shoes to get into any sort of club. That was simply the rules. So that often stopped us because we were looking fairly casual in trainers or whatever. Uh, but then Del Boy had this incredible idea, and it was essentially this. I'll, I'll demonstrate it to you now. So we used to take off our socks. Don't worry, this one, this one here, um, I've only worn for a week or so. And we used to, we used to do this. We used to. Now, now my feet might have grown since then, actually. There we go. And then. Before you know it, look at that, black shoes, ready to party. And so, um, you know, you go with some trepidation to, uh, to the bouncer, and, uh, you know, you'd, you, you'd go up to him and he'd be like, how do bouncers stand? Like, um, I do. You'd be like, there you go. Date of birth, 10th of the first, 81. And then, um, who are you with? Oh, my uni mates. Well, you've obviously got black shoes, so <laughs> off you go. And then we go in, and that was, that was our experience. I better take this off before, before I make any profound points. But the, re the reason why I'm saying this is if, we're, if we think about God the Father, often we actually think of him more as a sort of bouncer rather than our Father in heaven. Uh, we think of him as someone who uh, has arbitrary rules that we have to keep. We think of him who, as someone who has criteria that we have to meet. And with bouncers, often they, if they just have a dislike towards you, uh, then you're not allowed in. You won't be allowed in. And that is often how we view God. But that's not who he is. He's the one who bridged the gap. He's the one who sent his son to pay the price for our mess. He welcomed us in with open arms. And so why we welcome at church in the first place is because we were first welcomed in. 
So that's the why. Now let's have a look at what are we actually welcoming people into. The prodigal son passage expresses something of what God's family actually looks like, and therefore what the kingdom of God looks like. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet, and bring a fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. God's kingdom is full of generosity. It's full of grace. The son in that story deserved to be cut off, but instead he was welcomed in with open arms. The religious son and the rebellious son were invited to the same party. And there's plenty of descriptions in the Bible of actually what that party looks like. And uh, the one I'm going to read from now is Revelation 7. In Revelation 7 verse 9. And this is a picture of what the party in heaven is going to look like, what the multitudes uh, are going to look like as they come and gather together. Okay, and it says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they were fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We're going to be spending eternity worshipping him. That's what heaven looks like. And the great thing is, we have opportunity right here, right now, to actually experience a taste of heaven. A place where God is at the center of our community. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. God is at the center. And it's important that actually here in church, it needs to be a place where there's no dominant earthly culture. So we don't want our church to be defined by our British culture or maybe even don't want it to be defined by Nigerian culture or Malawian culture or middle class or working class culture or um, by young adults culture or, or um, young professionals culture. What we want at Grace Church is for it to be a kingdom culture church with him at the center. Amen? We want this place to be somewhere where all of our cultural differences here end up reflecting his glory. And the challenge for all of us is that actually it's against um, what our fallen nature tries to do. We know this because there is no society, there's no organization which gets close to this, apart from the church. And even then, there's so many challenges. It's counter to how we experience the world, isn't it? You know, naturally, we want to find our people, our tribe, the people who agree with our point of view, the people who are very similar to us. And we tend to be drawn to like-minded people we form our closest relationships with, with those who we have most in common because it's easier to relate to people who are similar to us socially. And nowhere was this 
more clearly true uh, than with the EU referendum and the vote, wasn't it? And you could just see how society has become more and more... Um, basically, we've got our own social media ghettos where people all think the same and view the world in the same way. And so in the build-up to the referendum, you know, people on both sides of the fence were so utterly convinced that their side was going to have a landslide victory because everyone in their friendship group was saying exactly the same thing. But the gospel challenges us to be radically different. It challenges us to break down these dividing walls and join together in a multicolored vision of God. When we come into relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that we are no longer citizens of earth, but we're citizens of heaven, and we have a culture of our own. So wouldn't you want to see more kingdom culture at Grace Church? So we covered why we welcome. We welcome because we were first welcomed in. We started to look at what we actually are welcoming people into. It's a kingdom culture church. But how do we actually get to a place where, where we're able to do this? It's actually impossible without the Holy Spirit. You know, without him, we end up being more like the older brother in the prodigal son story, you know, where we spend many years striving and serving without much or any sense of joy. And then we get frustrated when others seem to be let into the kingdom of God all too easily. We know when they haven't worked hard enough to succeed. But when God's presence falls, like it did in our worship time this evening, and we encounter Jesus, and as he works in our hearts, he reminds us that whilst we were still sinners, he died for us, and our hearts change, and the impossible actually becomes possible, and we're able to love and care and look after one another because we've been adopted into God's family. So I want you to look around for a minute. And uh, you're actually looking at, literally, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Have a look around. I mean, serious. There. I know it's slightly weird, but are you, are you, are you pleased with your family? <laughs> don't, don't answer that, actually. <laughs> These guys are literally your brothers and sisters in Christ. And regardless of background or baggage, we can be so intentional in loving and caring for one another. So in the last few minutes we have before we break bread, we're going to spend some time looking at how we do that. Um, and the first point is a fairly obvious one, but it's actually, I think, quite profound. Families sit around the table and they actually eat together. It's true. Uh, when uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, some of the team from Grace Church went to this thing called Learning Communities, which is for bigger churches in the UK, and you uh, spend some time listening and hearing good ideas from other churches, and you also get a mentor. So uh, our mentor this time was a lovely couple. I said uh, they were from Columbia in the morning meeting by mistake. I actually meant Colorado, so they're from <laughs> Colorado, slightly different places. And they had six kids, and they were telling us a little bit about their family. And their oldest was 22, their youngest was 10. 
And they were saying one of the best things they've, they've started to do as part of their family is um, regardless of what's happening, every Saturday they simply have brunch together and the, you know, the kids who have left home uh, come along and they just spend quality time with one another. So as the family of God, who have you invited round to your house recently? You know, it's easy, isn't it, to have people around who are like us. But our family is diverse, and so we need to be diverse with invites. So if you're um, a student, why don't you risk it and have a family round? And for any families here, have some students round. Yeah, risk it. I don't know. It's probably, le- it's probably more of a risk having like four and five-year-olds running wild than a than student. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, but we need to get out of our own little bubbles and we need to um, get to know other people in the church. Emily, my wife and I, when we have people around from Grace Church and also our friends outside of church, we do it for no other reason, with no other agenda other than to get to know people better. So don't be too strategic and who you have over, because it's simply a good enough reason to do it, because you're getting to know a brother and sister in Christ, and you know it's good to find out a little bit more about them. Growing up, uh, my best mate uh, was a, a guy called Chidazi, and um, I used to love going around his house. Um, there's two, two reasons why it was quite interesting. Actually, the first one I didn't particularly like. His older sister uh, used to watch uh, Sound of Music almost on repeat. <laughs> so every time we went round, there was a Sound of Music playing. But that's not the bit I want to emphasize here. <laughs> the second reason was that he was, his family was the most welcoming family I've ever experienced. And um, when I was there, there was always random people in the house, and some of them were quite easy to talk to. Some of them were, were downright odd, actually. But it was, it, it was incredible to see how they just opened up their life uh, to people. And that family, their sort of heart really stuck with me when I was in Leamington, and I lived with two other guys. And um, we were walking around once, and we uh, met this uh, this guy who was homeless, and he'd been dishonorably discharged from the army, and he was camping, um, but he kept getting his stuff knit, so he wasn't particularly um, happy, understandably. And uh, so he, we got talking to him, and he had an interesting background. He was saying earlier in the day he'd push someone into the canal because they'd use the Lord's name in vain. So um, <laughs> he was quite an interesting character, and... Um, he'd also, he had a little dog with him, which he said he'd stolen from travellers because they were, um, they were training it to be a fighting dog. So, um, so we, we had a sort of sense, a slight sense of trepidation. We were quite uh, sort of early 20s at the time. But we felt that we wanted to do something for him. And so um, we didn't have any space in our house. Um, but we did have a garden with a fence. So we said, why don't you camp in our garden and we can just you know, spend some time. You can use the, the kitchen and the bathroom and that. And he spent a couple of months camping in our garden. And I tell you what, number one, 
me and Dan and Nick, we have never prayed so much in our lives. Um, we really did. But he became part of the family. And we used to cut together and talk together. And we got to explain something of the gospel and, um, and something of, you know, grace. Uh, he, he had some view of God, but it wasn't particularly coherent. So... Um, we got to express that to him, and he left, actually changed and transformed, as did me and my housemates. And uh, he went up to Manchester to then live with one of his old army mates. Now, I'm not saying to you um, that you should operate an open house, or that you should have someone camping in your backyard if you have one. But what I am saying is that we, as a society, are way too protective of our stuff, and we're way too insular. And so what I'd like us all to do is actually to get out of our comfort zones and to ask God how he wants us to use the things that he's blessed us with for his glory and to go for it. Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and be more open with the resources that God's given you. 1 John 3 verse 18 says, Children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We're meant to be doing this in deed and truth. Another thing we can do to help people feel welcome and plugged in here is actually many of you are already part of loving communities in your home groups. And so the evening meeting's amazing for this, but just be so proactive in inviting people along and getting people plugged in and make space for people in your groups because they really are life-changing. And we've heard that in various different testimony today.